perspective and reality. Maybe we could say perspective versus reality. When my son-in-law and my daughter were in Italy, they sent pictures of themselves with various landmarks. It's always funny to see those shots where the perspective is skewed. One picture of them holding up the leaning power of, uh, tower of Pisa. Well, obviously, they're not holding up the leaning tower of Pisa. In fact, it would crush them. But the camera angle made it look like they were doing it. Or in France, where they can have the Eiffel Tower between their thumb and forefinger. We know that's not true, but it looks pretty cool. But of course, the looks are deceiving. As we come to the end of John's epistle, John reminds us of reality. And he helps us keep life in perspective. As we read these verses, let's look for how John corrects the skewed perspective and brings it back to reality. Here's the thought I want you to consider today. You have a new life in Christ. Don't let a skewed perspective keep you from enjoying reality. You have a new life in Christ don't let a skewed perspective keep you from enjoying reality. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So John concludes his first epistle by reminding his readers of precious foundational truth. John often reminds them of, we know. Now, my goal as we go through this, as we come to the end of this, is to look at reality and how that changes the way we view everyday decisions. And what's interesting to me as I've been going through this is how many times I don't think it's going to apply to my daily living, and yet the reality is these truths change the way I make decisions. So hopefully as we were reading through that, you were able to Look for what he's telling you is reality as compared to a skewed perspective. First of all, beginning of verse 18, he says, God's children 
live different. Now, I know it should be differently, but if Apple can do it, I can do it, okay? God's children live different. Now, we live in a broken world. That's important to remember. Otherwise, you will not understand why he's telling you this. We live in a broken world, in a world that says marriages can't survive. 50% of all marriages don't survive. I think recently what I read was 50% of all Christian marriages don't survive. And 75%, I think, I'm trying to remember the way they, they worded it, I believe 75% of second marriages don't survive. The world says there's no hope. The world says cheating is the only way to get ahead. You can't get ahead if you're going to play by the rules because everyone else cheats. The world says, in fact, we feel this way often, if you don't get even, people get away with doing wrong. The world would tell you, you are the only one who looks out for you. So every day you need to get out there and you need to defend yourself. And of course, we all know the saying, the only thing for certain in life is death and taxes. Yet John says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. What's he telling us? Why did he say that? Because immediately when we read this, our minds say, well, it can't mean what I think it means because then no one is saved. Because everyone sins. If this is saying that Christians never sin, then no one here is a Christian. So now we have to wrestle with what is John telling us and why would he summarize the whole book beginning in this last paragraph by saying, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. So why do Christians live differently? What is it in a Christian? Well, notice, first of all, God's children know that Jesus is the promised Messiah, and they have eternal life. That's one thing very important when we see why we live differently. We know something. Turn back to chapter 1, and let's look at verses 1 through 4, which is a section that we memorized together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness unto you, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things, all these things which we have heard and seen and investigated and handled, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full, that you can be satisfied that you have the truth, that you can know. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 23, whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Chapter 3, verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Chapter 4, verse 10, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Chapter 4, verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Chapter 5, the beginning, uh, verse 5, the beginning of that verse. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Chapter 11, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see, here's the point. John is saying, first of all, a reality is you can be completely confident in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Satan wants you to not think that you can be secure. He doesn't want you to think about it at all, but if you are thinking about it, he wants you to doubt it. He wants you to wonder. He wants you to say, because I have done wrong things, therefore I must not be saved. But that's not what we've seen John has taught throughout the whole book. What he's telling us is God's children, God's children, do not pursue sin. It's not the thing that drives their life. He doesn't say that Christians don't sin. Let's go back and let's look at what he's taught again. Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, oh, John is recognizing Christians do sin, but he says Christians don't continue to walk in sin. You see, the things that used to really make me excited and the things that I pursued, no longer are they the things that I pursue. Oh, I'm still tempted because I have base desires inside me. I have sinful desires inside me. But that is not the way, that's not what characterizes the way that I live. I still sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. And who is that advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. What is he telling us? He's saying that Christians' lifestyle changes. Chapter 2, verse 29, And ye know that he is righteous, if ye know that he is righteous, 
ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3, verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him, that we shall be like him when we shall see him as he is, every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself. What does that word mean? I'm not perfect. I am changing. We teach the principle of progressive sanctification. Progressive meaning we are changing from point A to point B. Our lives are changing. I'm not the same pastor that I was 30 years ago. I'm a different person today, and you should be thankful for that. You go, whoa, if you've changed and this is still what you're like, I can't imagine what you were like back then. Well, I don't like to tell you what I was like back then. The whole point is, is that I am a different person. I'm being changed from day to day into the image of Jesus Christ as I look at him. So, notice what he's telling us. We purify ourselves. We begin, as we see reality, we begin to get rid of the wrong perspective. We agree with God. All of my sins have been forgiven. When we confess our sins, what are we saying? What we are really saying is, I see today that what I was doing is wrong. It's the wrong direction. That's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to be. I want to be like Jesus. He is faithful. And he will change us. He will cleanse us. Chapter 3, verse 3. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, are demonstrated, are visible. And the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither, is, uh, neither he that loveth not his brother. He's not talking about sinlessness. He's talking about the change that takes place. What is your life characterized by now? He's saying there are a change in your desires. There are a change in your satisfaction. Why? Because you have been born into God's family. <clears throat> Notice he goes on in verse 18 to say, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, that their life is not characterized any longer by a life of sin. We no longer do things the way that the world does things. Our life is different now. And notice what it goes on to say, but he that is begotten of God. Let's pause there for just a moment. <clears throat> Who is this talking about? Is he talking about any believer? Or is he talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Well, as you look at the whole phrase there, and there will be different commentators who will take different opinions on this. As I told you last week, I have to look at this, and what I'm telling you is, as I look at it, it's what is in keeping with the context of Scripture. And as I look at this, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. How would we do that? 
The word keep is the one who guards or who protects. I would tell you as we read this, but he that is begotten of God is talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And keepeth, the word keepeth there, and, and I know sometimes this is, this is not going to be as much fun because we've got to talk grammar for just a moment. But grammar is important when you're reading this. Our, our King James Bible has written, keepeth himself. That word, autan, is not reflexive. It's not talking about what you do to yourself. It is a word that talks about what, you, what is being done for someone else. I can't keep you. We pray for each other. That was last week's. But what we do see is Jesus Christ, the begotten Son of God, does keep us. We are kept. Our salvation is secure. And therefore, you'll read a couple other translations, and you'll see in those, it talks about keeping, keepeth him. Talking about the Lord Jesus keeps us. That's why as we come to the end of this, John is giving this conclusion, and John is saying, he said, we know that you're now different. You live differently. You no longer live like the world. And that's an important thing for you to remember. Because as you remember that, now when you see the world acting differently than you, you don't struggle with that. You go, that's because they're not of Jesus Christ. The second thing that's very encouraging is we are kept by Jesus Christ. My salvation is secure because he keepeth me. He's the one who is praying for me. He prays that my faith does not fail. He's the one who, even though I stumble, he prays for us. He stands as our go-between. He is at the right hand of the Father, and because of that, there is hope for me. There is hope for you. Let's go on. Verse 19. And we know that we are of God. Notice he's giving this, we know this. Here's the fact. The fact is, we are in Christ and our life now is different. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. God's children know they are under God's authority, not under Satan's authority. I don't have to give in to Satan any longer. You see, every person is under the jurisdiction of God or under Satan. The world system is under the jurisdiction of Satan. He has the authority to condemn, to punish, and to destroy. But you notice with God's people, Satan does not have that authority. He has, um, God's children are under his jurisdiction. Satan no longer can condemn, punish, and destroy. Everything that Satan does in my life is only under God's supervision and God's um, permission. We know because of what Jesus said. God's children, verse 20, know that Jesus has already come and his coming allows us to have a deep personal relationship with God. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God is come. 
We have personally experienced this, John says. We have seen him. We have heard him. We have looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. We have interacted with him. He was here in the flesh. There are those doctrinally that that John was dealing with and John was saying you need to understand something people that talk about that Jesus was not the Messiah that maybe Jesus became the Messiah at his baptism and sometime before his death because God couldn't die obviously God had to be removed from him and John is saying wait we know this we know for certain the Messiah has come this is important for the Jews to recognize which many don't but it's important for us to recognize the Messiah has come. As we just saw earlier in John, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us understanding we know that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. What he is describing here for us, again, is we are confident of this. We know that the Son of God is come. Again, the English side of this reminds us of something. Again, the word, if something is a perfect tense, it means that it's an ongoing something. When we know something, let me give you an illustration. If you hear, she has made a cake for dessert versus she made a cake for dessert, there's a big difference. She has made a cake for dessert tells us the cake is still available for us to eat. She made a cake for dessert, could tell us it was really good. Sorry, you missed it. If we say the grass has grown tall, it still needs to be cut. It's still available. If we say the grass grew tall, we don't know for certain. It was tall at one point, but was it cut? John is saying we know. It's not just something that we knew in the past, but it is something that is ongoing that we continue to know. Something that makes us confident. Something that is for certain that you can continue to know. It's still available for us. This confidence. You see, the facts, John is saying, lead us to confidence. Because of our relationship with the Son of God, John tells us something else. We know more about God because we know Jesus Christ. You see, you can know him today. Satan says, oh, you really can't know what God is like. Oh, yes, you can because you know Jesus. Because you know Jesus, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God. We are in God because we are in Jesus Christ. Look at that where he says that we may know him who that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We know confidently that Jesus is God and Jesus is eternal life. What did, John, what did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the life. 
I am the life. And finally, in verse 21, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now here we're being told to keep yourself. This is something you can do because he's saying, he's not saying you make yourself secure. He's saying you guard yourself so that you do not allow anything that would occupy the place in your heart that is due to God. Think about this for a moment. What is an idol? The word here, to keep yourself, means to be on guard. Be on your watch. That's the thing I struggle with so often. It's so easy to just go through life and not be on guard. I just assume everything's okay. And John, as he said, now we know this, and we know this, and we know this, and we know this. Therefore, be on guard. Keep yourself an idol is anything and everything that occupies, occupies the place in your heart that only God should hold. It's any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. You see, John is dealing, the whole way through this book, he's dealing with perspective and reality. The way we think we should live life can be skewed by our perspective. Oh, the Eiffel Tower is only this tall. Oh, I can hold up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The perspective that you see would lead you to believe that. The reality is completely different. Satan today is wanting you to believe a perspective, and that is that you are powerless, you are minuscule, and the only way you can live in this world is to play the way the world plays. Hasn't it been interesting this week in MLB where you have seen all the fall of these uh, managers from baseball because they were cheating? And one man changed teams, and now on the team, he just won the uh, World Series, he now has been fired because they were cheating. And the men said, look, it's even against my faith. What I did was wrong. I'm sorry, I brought shame to my team, I brought shame to my family, and I brought shame to my beliefs. Why did they do that? Why would they cheat to win the World Series? Because they thought that was the way you played the game. The only one that's happy with that whole thing is Satan. He just destroyed some men's lives. Makes me sad when I see that. Maybe for some of you it made you angry because your favorite team got beat by those people because they were cheaters. But the reality is this. He says reality can be skewed by your perspective. Therefore, the only thing you can do is to remember what John is saying. John is saying, don't forget, you're God's children, and God's children don't live the same way that the world lives. You're going to see the world say, the only way to win the World Series is to cheat. But that's not true. You're going to see people that will tell you, nobody is faithful in their marriage. That's not true. 
You're going to see people that will tell you the only way to get ahead in business is to cheat somebody out of that, to defraud them. And the reality is that's not true. John ends by focusing on the facts necessary to live in reality. We have these questions in our mind. We question, how should I enjoy life? We question, how can I make it in a difficult world? And the answer is, Jesus keeps you. He guards me. One of our children, when he was very young, often I would look at him and go, what am I going to do with you? You know his answer every time? Keep me. He got it. He was secure. No matter what he did, he knew this one thing. He was my son. And he was going to be my son. Do you know, we have the question, so who should I obey? We have the question, can I really know God and does he care? And we ask this question, what can really hurt me? Will it really hurt me if I do this thing that I've got questions about, should I do or not do? What's John telling you? John is saying, enjoy your new family. Live confidently in your faith. Depend upon Jesus as you choose to live right. You are right with God through Jesus Christ, not the unattainable, unknowable works that Satan would have you to feel like. i got to live this way for God to be pleased with me. How can I enjoy all these things? And John ends with this final answer. He says, keep, guard yourself from imposters. Guard yourself. We, we hear the word idol, and, and we're missing the point. The point is an idol is an imposter of the real thing, right? That's what an idol is. It's an imposter. It's something that you are thinking will help you, something that you are thinking will bring you joy, something that you are thinking will, will benefit you. But the reality is, he says, guard yourself. Be on the alert for imposters in your spiritual walk. We live in a cruel world. It will promote you only to take advantage of you. I've been grieved in the news the last week of different people who, different girls who thought it was glamorous to be a model only when you begin to read what happened to them and you begin to realize they only glamorized those people to take advantage of them. The world will despise you when it disagrees with you. The world's perspective is skewed and reality is not honestly presented. It only takes a read of the newspaper. It only takes a listen to the news at night or or something on the radio, and you begin to realize, if you will filter everything that you're hearing and begin to recognize, I view this through a Christian lens now. I look at this no longer with Satan's distorted lenses. Everything is taken off, and God tells me the truth. 
and he doesn't, he doesn't skew it in any way. He tells you what is right and what is wrong. He also tells you that the world will mistreat you. The world will misuse you. Probably for me, one of the saddest news stories in the past few days has been the one from Buckingham Palace. Few people in the world will ever be born into or marry into royalty. It's a life different than anything most will ever experience. If you've ever been on the East Coast here in the United States, you will see that wealthy people have tried to imitate royalty, even, treat, even tried to demand that they be treated like royalty, but they are not. Harry, Meghan, and Archie are no longer going to be identified as royalty. They are still family, but they've given up the use of their titles and their privilege to speak for the queen. They are what few can ever be, royalty. The pressure from an unkind press has become too difficult, and they've said, I can't handle this. I'm not criticizing them. But I'm noting that reality has been different than perception. Harry believes that for the sake of his family, they need to stop acting like royalty. Do you know, sadly, there are many Christians who begin to doubt and question what they should do and how they should live and whether or not it pays to live like Jesus Christ. The world thinks that they should have every privilege that a Christian has, and they could be born into God's family, but they choose not to do that. And Christians begin to look at how the world lives, and they begin to say, I'm tired of being picked on. I'm tired of being overlooked. I'm tired of the world only promoting me when they can get something out of me, and as soon as they disagree with me, they eat me alive. Christians hurt because they are misunderstood and they are rejected. But could I remind you of something this morning? Often that happens because they have forgotten what they know. They have become discouraged by their treatment by the world rather than enjoying the reality of a relationship with the eternal God and loving Father. They have been deceived into believing that darkness is an easier condition to walk in than light. <clears throat> Do you see, what happens to us is the same thing that John was talking about. And John was saying, you need to understand what you have. You get to walk in the light. The world walks in darkness. Satan is a deceiver. Don't ever forget that. He is a destroyer. Don't forget that. He will give you anything you want if he can trap you and hurt you. And God will only give good gifts. Therefore, if you want something that's in darkness, your good father will not give it to you. You say, but I would be so much happier if I could just... And God says, it's not good. That's why John ends by saying... Keep yourself from...
from imposter gods. No God. I can tell you in my life, do you know when I struggle the most? Is when I spend the least amount of time getting to know my God. Oh, and I've got lots of reasons why I don't get to know my God. I'm really busy. I have appointments. I have to travel. I've got this coming up. I've got this going on. And what happens? I don't take time for me to know my God. And therefore, as I help other people, I struggle. Maybe you go through that too. Why do we have to guard ourselves from imposter gods? Because there is an imposter god out there. He's trying to deceive you. He is an anti-Christ. And John says, oh, don't let him deceive you. Don't lose the joy. You've got the right thing. As a believer, you think differently from the world. Don't be surprised and don't grieve your righteous soul by trying to live like them. This past week I was reading about Lot. And I was thinking about Lot. He was a righteous person. And we say, how could he be a righteous person and live where he lived in Sodom and literally be the person at the gate that greeted people? It tells us Christians can do that. Believers in God can do that. But what does it say? He grieved. The New Testament tells us Lot grieved his righteous soul daily. You know, it's possible today as a believer that you are grieving your righteous soul daily. I'm not saying that to do this to you. I'm saying that to say this to you. Keep yourself. Guard yourself from false gods. Satan will do anything he can to take away what our good God has given you. Second thing this morning I want to remind you of is it's okay to make changes. You don't have to keep living like you did before you were saved. You don't do it to get saved. God takes you right where you are. But now that you're different, something's different on the inside, and it bothers you. It grieves you when you do the things you used to do, with the way you used to lie. It bothers you the things you used to watch. It bothers you the way you used to talk. It bothers you now. All these things are happening to you. And you say, oh, I don't like the way I am. That's good, but you don't have to stay this way. Allow God to make those changes in you. The third thing I'd like to remind you of is God's word is a trustworthy guide. Cindy and I are reading through the Gospels right now. And as we're reading, so often it's like I'm hearing things and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just says, you just read right past that. I want you to change in this area. I don't want you to do this. This is the way my people live now. Read God's word and take it literally. John says, welcome to the family. Enjoy it. 